everyone. Welcome. And thank you for listening to the Equity Meets podcast series by Equity Labs at the University of Denver. My name is Ashley Hill, and I'm the Assistant Director of Equity Labs. Our show is committed to interrogating contemporary issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion across disciplines, industries, and contexts by leaning in on the expertise of interdisciplinary thought leaders and elevating the voices of those who live in the margins. In this episode, we are talking to folks from the LGBTQIA community to discuss and elevate the work and advocacy they do. We are really thrilled to have you both with us today. And um, we know that as DEI practitioners and as people who are in spaces where resistance um, and activism are happening, that we all sort of arrive at this in different ways. And so um, we would love for each of you to share um, a little bit about yourself and kind of what brought you to this moment, anything that you would like folks who are listening to know. Um, um, what's up, y'all? My name is Erica, they, she pronouns. I am a queer Latinx gender fluid person, also a Sagittarius, if that is important to you. Um, let's see how I arrived here in summary. Um, so I've been living in Denver, Colorado for about seven years now, and I feel like I, I got started working with communities through AmeriCorps, worked for Colorado Youth for a Change. Um, and then got involved with Adam City High School. And I taught um, through a nonprofit at Adam City High School for about five years. I taught social emotional learning through a lens of social justice. And I think day in and day out, being a high school teacher and seeing that um, a lot of the youth of color and queer youth of color who I served were not being equitably treated. And I think without having credentials like an MSW next to my name, even though I was, I really felt like I was doing really hard social work. I was doing the jobs of a lot of different people all in one. Um, I felt like my voice and my advocacy for the youth that I served was not being listened to in proportion to not having those letters next to my name. So um, I made the really difficult decision after five years with the help and encouragement of my students to go back to school. It was really hard to leave that community. It was definitely like home. Um, but yeah, I also am an alum of DU and I went to GSSW for two years. And I feel like um, to keep that short, I'm sure this will come up in other spaces as we continue through the conversation, but I've found a lot of um, problematic structures within um, the School of Social Work. And I feel like I had a fire that was lit under me that was even brighter than before when I was serving students. And I saw a lot of inequitable practices that were happening. And I feel like my activism as a student group leader of uh, SOBA, so the Shades of Brown Alliance, um, was a group that I led. And doing activism within that space to then impact uh, the community that social workers were serving was very important to me. And then um, I kind of fell into an internship with Joya's Resistance and made a case for them keeping me after graduation and was like, I'm going to use all of my experience as a teacher. I love this community. And I feel like my heart is really for serving queer and trans youth of color, gender expansive youth. Um, and so, yeah, now what I do as um, the Joyful Spaces manager is I deliver uh, trainings to youth serving professionals. So basically, um, you know, giving them the tools on how to best equitably serve queer, trans, and gender expansive youth. And on top of that, I do some GSA work as well as pre and post assessment, kind of like DEI assessment. 
But um, other than that, I really love my job. Also, Joy's Resistance is a very radical space that we work within. And I also want to mention our equitable salary matrix that we all built together as a team. We're a team of six. Um, I can speak more on that later. But I think all I'll say is that I feel that the people who I work with are very inspiring because we are all on the spectrum of queerness in some way or another and prioritize intersectionality in the work that we do. And we, we ride for each other in our community and um, yeah, we also handle conflict as a gift. And I think that that dynamic within a workspace can completely radicalize and transform the way that we serve community. Um, So yeah, anyway, that's me. That's how I got here and I love it. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing, Erica. Nadine? I don't even know if I can go after Erica after all that. <laughs> um, I believe in you. <laughs> I had the pleasure of working a little bit with Erica, I think during the pandemic a little bit, um, with while they were at uh, Shades of Brown Alliance at GSSW and um, have heard a lot of the changes and implementation um, that they had done um, at GSSW, which is pretty incredible and impactful and also really hard. as as um, so yeah, so my name's Nadine Bridges, she, her, hers. Um, I am a black, queer, bisexual uh, woman who's been married to my partner uh, to be 10 years in two days. Um, we actually met at GSSW, GSSW back in the day. So uh, together 15 years um, in November, which is wild. Um, neither one of us knew that we are, I think both of us knew that we were queer, but weren't really out and then met each other and have been together ever since. So uh, GSSW has a habit of doing that to folks from what I hear. But yeah, I came through this work um, in, a, in a different way. I was raised uh, from the age of nine by my dad, who was really committed to serving community in his own way. He was a chef, but always made it a point to um, ensure that his kids were accountable to what was happening around them, asking us a lot of questions um, so that we could, you know, not just look at somebody who was unhoused as an unhoused person, but really see them as a human human being um, saying hello to older adults. Um, and I, I like to joke that my first real understanding that young people have a voice is that in the seventh grade, I found out that our band, um, our school band was going to be canceled. And so um, our, our parents had gone to the school that summer, talked to the PTA, nobody would listen. So a bunch of nerdy band geeks, sixth, seventh and eighth graders showed up to our PTA demanding that we um, have band back. Um, and we got band back for um, seventh grade and eighth grade. And um, it was the first time I realized that sometimes it's, it's more important to hear the young people who are impacted um, rather than listen to adults um, who, you know, have adults speak for us, um, which was really impactful for me. Um, I've been doing youth development work for over 20 years. Uh, started out uh, doing a kind of after school programs and then went to Peace Corps and lived in Nicaragua for a few years. Did youth development work, came back, helped start a charter school um, and did that work for a few years. And I kind of fell into social work. Um, Randomly, I, I didn't know anything about social work. I assumed that all social workers were kind of like baby snatchers that like um, just climbed up into your window and took kids and put them in the welfare system. Um, I had no idea that really social work is an ideology. You heard Erica talk about the fact that 
she was already doing social work for a long period of time. And what I think is sad is that we have to go to school to learn how to not be assholes, right? To actually care about community, to really hear around what's going on and how you impact them, not only from a marginalized standpoint, but also from your privilege standpoint. Um, and I think that's what I've got out of the work is like really understanding who I am as a human being, as not only as a black queer woman, but as a cisgender person, as a higher educated person, as now a middle class person. Um, and what does that all mean as I move through the world and how do I create a, a world that is better than that? Um, so I've graduated in 2010 and have really kind of just worked my way up. I started out with first gen um, undocumented students and then when DACA came around and worked with families to make sure that they had the support they needed and weren't being exploited. Um, I had the opportunity and um, really I think I, I would not be who I am without this which was to run an LGBTQ youth center here in the Denver metro area and really what it did was create an opportunity for me to be courageous in my authenticity um, around queerness um, and speak up in a way that I would have never, ever done um, if it wasn't for working with those young people and, and help create space um, and work on a journey of learning how to uh, empower folks when um, adults don't always listen. Um, and so, and be accountable to my own bullshit when it comes to what young people, who young people are. So, sorry, I curse a little bit. That's the Capricorn in me, um, you know. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but the reality is, is I've kind of worked my way through, left nonprofit, was in um, Boulder County Public Health as the head of their community health division for two years, and then just came back um, two and a half years now um, as the executive director of One Colorado. Um, I'm the first Black person and the first female to run this organization. And um, as Erica alluded to, it's it's really interesting when you're working in community uh, where we're supposed to be inclusive and uh, realize how exclusive it is. Um, it's most certainly been an uphill battle when you're talking about political work, um, as well as health equity work and uh, youth leadership and trying to figure out how to play the game well. Um, you know, it's not always so black and white. Um, as we're doing this work. And that's been really hard for me. Um, you know, how do I balance who I am as a person and who I am as a kind of a figurehead in some ways, um, whether I like it or not? Um, I've also worked with my team to be as equitable as possible around pay, um, moving to paying all my staff above uh, market value, uh, making sure that all the staff, we pay 100% of our staff's uh, health insurance uh, is in 50% of their partners, as well as uh, dental um, increased mental health, brief days, um, you know, sabbatical, making sure staff taking sabbatical. Um, so really trying to balance who I am and what I believe it means to respect and love the human condition in a world that has created a narrative that has not been always helpful um, in, in that arena. So um, that's a little bit about me. Thank you so much for sharing, Nadine. I really appreciate you both and your sort of immediate vulnerability with who you are and the work that you do and how you've arrived in the places that you are. Um, I really, I would want folks who are listening to like hear both who you are and specifically the way that you all have chosen to show up in your workspaces. So much of what we do at Equilabs is try to help folks figure out like 
how to not be an asshole, right? How do we show up at work in these places where we do spend a lot of our time with as much of ourselves as we can um, and creating spaces where whether it's equitable pay, more days for mental health care or grief um, time away from work um, to the ways that we work with students and the ways that we understand how their lived experiences show up um, either as a social worker or an educator. And so I, I appreciate you both sharing those things. And I think that those are um, really lovely and joyful like models of how these how DEI practices show up for real in our lives, right? Um, so I'm going to carry us into our next question, but just to sort of align with what's been shared, I am a, a little Libra. I'm always out here in these streets trying to find balance, you know, <laughs> successful or not is yet to be seen. But um, and I am a cisgender woman. I'm a white woman. Um, I'm a heterosexual woman. And um, I, I am learning, right? This is something that it's uh, the queer world is a world that I am adjacent to um, and immersed in occasionally in the work that I do. Um, so I'm really grateful to be able to learn from and be in conversation with you both today. So thank you in advance for your time and for your emotional energy. We're living in, we're living in strange times feels like such an understatement. At this moment, right, we know that there's over 500 um, anti-LGBTQIA plus and almost 220 anti-trans bills that have been introduced in various legislatures, state legislatures. Um, and we're curious in, in y'all's experience, um, what sort of explains this moment? And then what sustains your hope that things can or will change? I think sometimes we get a little stuck in the feeling of not being able to to make change or not being able to affect change on a systems level. And so I'm yeah, just curious if you, if anybody wants to speak into like how did we get here and then what sustains you um as a practitioner and as a person moving forward. Yeah, it's this is definitely strange times. The one thing that I would say is that um you know, I I've, I've had the the opportunity to really connect with our elders over the last few months um, around everything that's happening. And the, the, the one general narrative that keeps coming out is that the, the thing that's most difficult about now is that they're attacking every vulnerable population at one time. Um, and then the other linkage to that is that, that my understanding is that a lot of this has to do with complacency, right? Um, none of, you know, those of us who are queer, uh, BIPOC, trans, uh, gender expansive, um, non-binary um, women, um, you know, folks who have dealt with uh, social economic status, like we've all been harmed in over the, the, the history of this country and really before this, right? But I like to say European aggression, um, where we moved away from this idea of indigenous human connection, breathing with the earth. Um, and whether we all want to admit it or not, we all have um, come from indigenous communities. We all come from uh, uh, before colonization uh, where uh, queer love was just love like any other love. Uh, gender expression was just gender expression. Um, but after that separation, folks have to survive. Um, and they've done everything that they can to survive, whether that's, you know, leaning into faith and religion or uh, assimilating uh, to get where we need to be. But we're no stranger for this type of hate and this type of narrative. I think anytime we have a little bit of change, whether it's a uh, suffrage movement or uh, civil rights um, or marriage equality, the reality is it leans into this idea of safety 
um, and this this um, lack of critical thought around like what's happening. And it seems to be the most vulnerable of us who are telling us um, that we have still a lot of work to do. Our trans women of color, um, you know, who are saying like, hey, we have work to do. And the human condition wants us to lean towards comfort. Um, and then it takes a kind of a blast, like what's happening right now, for us to get get back into uncomfortable uncomfortable levels, right? So the civil lining around this is that we've known this stuff has been happening for a long time, and now we see all the gaps. We had, um, you know, he who shall not be named as a president, um, who really what he showed is that you can't run a presidency on decorum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you actually have to have accountability there. And you have to have truth if you really want things to move in the right direction. Then we need to talk about the harms that have happened in this country to all folks um, and clean it up and set up a, a measure of accountability. Um, we need to get back to connecting with our families and with our neighbors. Um, we need to make sure, um, as Eric was saying before, around um, even in the workplace of making sure that it's actually equitable um, and that people are seen and heard. Um, so the joy in this for me is that hopefully we actually cleaned out this wound and really allow it to heal in the right way. Um, the fear for me is that people want to do that too quickly. Um, you can't just kind of slam dunk things and hope that things are going to get better. Um, we have to be able to love our, our folks and bring people along. Um, and we can't always live by fear. Um, and that's really hard right now. It's really difficult, you know, to see what's happening. But our elders have been through this time and time again and managed to come out through the top. Um, and so I manage, I, I hope that we will get there. Um, but patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy is always going to be something that harms all of us, including me. Um, and how we move through the world. And so we have to be able to check ourselves as we're doing this work to make sure uh, that we're doing it in a way that is um, authentic and filled with love. And I know that sounds super social working, but without love, we we can't do this the right way. Um, so that's kind of where I am with it. I this This is these tactics, uh, these things that these people are doing, you know, to to 500 pieces, more than 500 pieces of legislation, 75 that were actually passed that were um, mainly the, the impacts on anti-trans folks, like the anti-trans bills that were coming through, these mom for freedom fools, like all of that stuff is just a blip in what could be historically significant. So it's how do we come together as a community um, to really have significant uh, change that is not quick um, and can be easily broken down again is kind of the way I've been thinking about this lately. Thanks, Nate. I really appreciate that. And I'd love to hear hear what you think as well, Erica. Yeah, for sure. Nadine hit a lot of really great points. And I feel like the only thing that I might add to that, I feel like is just that whenever I read the question, I I realized that the isms really be isming lately for me because I haven't really taken the time to be reflective in trying to be poignant under understanding why all of these things are happening. And I don't know that there is one specific thing that is explaining this moment because there have been so many moments, which is why I'm also really glad that Nadine spoke first because I was like, I wonder your perspective. Um as someone who, I mean, for me, I'm a millennial and my students say like geriatric millennial cringe. 
Um, and so <laughs> I have my my own perspective that is a bit removed of some context, like history wise. And so I do look to other people to answer these questions. Um, however, I do think in the work that I'm doing, what I can explain as far as like the violence that we're seeing in a very physical way, and then also, you know, an implicit way and with legislation is lack of education, lack of education in schools, um, and having people being raised in, in situations where the far right is pushing propaganda that people are buying into because of this lack of education. And so people are confusing what is unfamiliar with them as something that is unsafe. And when something is unsafe, then you act upon that and create a, a lot of violence that feeds into something that's going to create propaganda. That is what we're seeing happen. Um, but other than that, I think that trying to focus on education and trainings and hiring processes within institutions so that we are giving young people the tools to be able to um, understand themselves in the midst of all of this is very important because while all these tra anti-trans bills um, and legislation is coming out, I think that there is this overwhelming message that young people and people like myself all of the, these communities are understanding this greater message of you do not belong here. And that for me, as somebody who felt that in my own way with legislation that I grew up with, um, that obviously looked different, but to, to really see the youth's perspectives on how this is impacting them day to day, right? I think that to be able to give them the tools to be able to create belonging and safe spaces and affinity spaces and intersectional spaces at that is something that is really important for me. And I feel like on on the point of what sustains my hope is that, you know, Gen Z and the youth that I'm seeing that are creating activism in the community, shout out at Queer Denver. They're doing a lot of really cool work in community um, all on their own. And I feel like creating spaces for, for joy and really leaning into that is something that we have to use as, as a revolution um, and a way to sustain ourselves in the middle of all of this. Yeah, I just want to add on today with Erica around the young people. I, I had lunch today with um, one of my fellows and I'm just blown away around the courageousness. I think every generation has done a little bit to make uh, changes I mean, within a system that we have been taught, right? And education teaches us where compliance happens. You know, I, I remember my wife actually saying to me years ago, our alarm went off and she said, woke up randomly and actually said to me, this is all a scam. Like out of a sleep saying the bell waking us up, getting to go to school, having lunch at a certain time recreation all scheduled in they've been doing this to us for years and years and years and now we're in working doing the same thing and man it messed me up right but what i have with this younger generation is that they're holding even me accountable um as much as i think i'm aware of diversity equity inclusion and all of these things i'm still complying to what i've been taught and now we have a lot of folks who are saying why you know what I mean? Why do we have to do this? Why can't we work this way? What does this look like? And it's really up to us as a you know generation to kind of look at things through the, I have 1977 eyes. There's no way that I can understand what somebody's 2000, 2000 eyes or 2020 eyes are going to see. So it's up to me to figure out what those commonalities are um, because I have a little bit more power and figure out how do we exchange that and are in change. 
and young people are holding us accountable to that. And I love that they are unafraid and unapologetic. And it's really figuring out how we can bridge that gap um, so that we don't leave folks behind, but we also continue to move forward. Um, it's a great thing to see. Sometimes I'm exhausted by it. I'm just like, because I said so. And then my niece, my nibblings are just like, yeah, no, that's what your dad said. So like, what's the difference now? Um, and then figuring out, it's not perfect. Um, you know what I mean? And I, you, you're calling yourself a geriatric millennial Erica and I am definitely Gen Z and the reality is is like I have to be again when we're talking about privilege and accountability I need to be accountability accountable to my own lens and this is a time to do it and young people they're not playing around man they're just like dude you need to figure this out because our world is messed up and climate change is a real thing and why are you still writing in cursive and like you know all these things you know what I'm saying like and I need to be accountable to that for us to move forward. I love it. Um, and I love that they're, you know, bringing joy into it because we don't, I think in the movement work, there's been a lot of suffering um, and we don't have to suffer through this work. You know, we have to, we, in order to be sustainable, you have to be able to smile. You have to be able to celebrate just as much as you need to march um, and, and, and fight. So. Absolutely. I really, I'm enjoying it. I'm like cackling behind the scenes as everyone's sort of outing themselves of like, I'm a geriatric millennial and I'm squarely, squarely Gen X. And I think that there's a lot of value in, in everything that y'all are saying, but I, I specifically wanted to point out and just like call to the front a couple of things about like both listening to the intensity and the fire of young folks and what they're bringing to the table right now and what they're asking of all of us and really holding a mirror up to us as practitioners and as people who are leaders in the spaces where, where they are going to be educated, going to be employed, um, and really wonderfully forcing the hand of folks in a way that is, that's new and different. And Nadine, I also wanted to come back to what you mentioned about elders and having conversations with folks who have been through these these movements, these moments before, and and how much value and community there can be in those conversations with those folks, and I think that that's something that that I think a lot about. I was an only child and had a, I spent a lot of time with adults as a young person, and so I feel like I really enjoy those conversations, and I enjoy like trying to figure out how to understand how somebody who is ninety. Like, what can they bring to the table and can bring to these conversations now um, amidst what also is like, oh, that is the thing that you said that I am like super not on board with. <laughs> where where can we where can we learn and build community and find those bridges, as you said, sort of between elders and young folks? Because um, I, I think I will go out on a limb and say that the three of us in conversation are sort of in that that bridge building moment, right? Of like, how do we how do we make that happen for people? Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to call forward was the idea of um, the ethic of love and how do we operate with that both in our own spaces and our own relationships and in our workspaces and our colleagues and friends. Um, that's something that Chendu, who's the executive director of Equity Labs, and I talk about a lot and that he has worked really hard to build our workspace around this ethic of love. Um, and I will out myself and say, who, buddy? I was like very trained in the like, you get an A and you're a good person vibe of the, <laughs> the late 80s, early 90s. And the work of undoing that is beautiful and difficult. Um, but I really appreciate that that is at the center of, of this conversation as well about um, the accountability that love can offer us um, and what what that can transform and this idea of 
um, generative conflict, conflict as a gift, as you mentioned, Erica, I think um, sort of pulls that in as well. So I'm gonna carry us into our, into our next question. And I think you all have alluded to already this idea of sort of vacillating or oscillating between the intense intrapersonal work um, and then the big systemic institutional work. And so sort of contesting and resisting queer and transphobia is as much this sort of relational project as it is a more systemic struggle. And we'd love to hear if there are some uh, interpersonal or interactional strategies that you have found effective and meaningful for yourself, um, for your colleagues and, and folks that you're in conversation with about these, these ideas. I can I can speak to that. I feel like uh, to be super transparent right before this, I had a really bomb therapy session. And I think to schedule that after pride and in reflection of the entire month um, has really brought up a lot of things for me and in relationship to the question around what has really helped me in understanding my own identities and trying to create a community around me that really affirms me and sustains me, especially in doing community service work. Um, I feel like really leaning into what my queer identity means to me and how that has completely transformed my life and reflecting that on each pride has been really important. Um, and, you know, for working for Joyous Resistance, I'm like out there every weekend tabling and doing what, as we call being professionally gay and <laughs> like, you know, being out there and we're working a lot. There has to be a lot of reflection moments in order for, at least for me personally, using I statements, like for me to make meaning out of what it, what it feels like to be in this body, navigating all of these waters of white supremacy, culture, um, capitalism and homophobia. I think that what queerness has given me is this gift to queer everything. So binaries and to really break things down from binaries to then spectrums to then galaxies and to do that with every concept and to create this orbit of beautiful people who have all of these different identities and seeing their own perspectives on what their spectrum or their galaxy when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to professionalism, what does it mean to queer professionalism? What does it mean to queer relationships and make them romantic and platonic at the same time? Um, and for us to really lean on community and away from toxic monogamy and all of these things that we have been taught growing up and are still being pushed on us every day. And what does it mean to reject that? And I think that while that sounds beautiful in theory and definitely does in these moments that I really try to be intentional to create, I think that even right now working in this service space that I do, there is still a lot of of suffering happening within my community that can sometimes make it hard for these communal spaces to come together. Not only that, but to be vulnerable and talk about these topics that are very important to talk about. So for example, um, I'll, I'll mention my partner here. Um, so they actually had for, for their birthday, which fell during pride month, they had a, um, a new take on what is a gender reveal. And they brought together a group of people and had um, 
a little coming out as a she, they with new pronouns and did a little PowerPoint presentation on what gender and sexuality means to them with slides with like, you know, uh, a low female on and like JBN and all of these authors, Evian Whitney, um, that have really paved the way for them to really understand what that means for them. And then had this like activity with a sweater and where we were to put sticky notes on what makes us feel most comfy in our gender, whether that's like tattoos or that's reclaiming what nail polish is. Because for me, I was like, I can't do that. I don't want I want it to be seen in like a masculine way, not a feminine way if I start to go back to painting my nails. But just like these little conversations of also what it means to be Latinx and to be in this culture that rejects mostly everything that I am, at least in my family. And to have those spaces that are also sober and to have those in-depth conversations on what these constructs means in the context of our lives and our specific identities is something that I have found that I want to create tradition around for every Pride Month to come. And even like turning to my partner on like Sunday after the Pride weekend happening and, and having them turn to me and just be like, this sounds so corny, but I really feel like every day with you is Pride Month and we don't have to go out and do all the things and like be at Civic Center shaking our ass like that's that was there was a place and a time for that. But for this weekend, it was really about rejuvenating, being in community, reflecting on what that means to me and how we can help support each other um, through this time, especially with all the legislative um, things happening, impacting our work and our communities. I'm just like grinning from ear to ear and thinking about like the multiverse. I'm such a nerd. And so like, and how we queered that. I, it made me think, Erica, when you were talking, it, it specifically made me think of when I taught um, or when I did facilitations, LGBTQ facilitations. And um, we would kind of, you know, at the end of the day, what people got out of it is that you're never allowed to make assumptions and that the only way you can actually truly identify someone is to allow them to identify themselves. And, and I, you know, everything's linear because it's a PowerPoint. And, but I remember one of our youth who joined one of the, the facilitations said, really, if this was the real way to do it, it would be like a Star Trek hologram. And there, and everybody would be all over the place because we're infinite. Like I always say queer love is infinite. Um, and it is really true, like being able to create identity based off of how you move through the world versus what people have packaged you to be. And I think that's so hard for folks who have believed in manifest destiny and this idea that their destiny was uh, was manifested for them. Right. Like that we in imminent domain and, and like and how terrible it must be to be taught that and then almost a moral failure um, when you don't get to that, right? And you don't get to this idea of whiteness because even white people can't be white because it's so perfection that it's not even possible and the nervous breakdown of that. And what we see in queer community is that like we're moving away from that. And of course, there's a lot of boxes within our community. Why? Because we've been socially constructed to be who we are. Um, you know what I mean? And to survive under that. But this idea of galaxies Erica like yo like that is like yeah it's mind-blowing right because that's what it is right like you know to say like I am me and this is how we're going to move through the world um whether that's a sober space whether that's dancing at pride whether that's not and also just allowing for grace right I think in our community we I always say that we're representative of every identity the thing that makes us such great um 
the op- op- the gives us the ability to traverse many communities is that we are literally representative of every identity, race, ability, religion that is out there. Um, so it gives us opportunity to cross commonalities and strengthen that. Now we need to build from that, right? And when you're talking about galaxies, you can do that, right? You have to just be willing to have the conversation, willing to understand where someone's coming from, and then figure out what the next step is. And I think that's so hard when you're trying to just survive. Um, So hard when we just came out of a pandemic where everyone was completely and utterly isolated. I'm a a self-described workaholic. I firmly believe it and believe that my partner wants to strangle me at all times because I'm working all the time. And I learned in the pandemic that I could do this work and take care of myself in a way that I have never been able to before. Right. Um, I bake. I've been baking since I was a little kid um, and I lost that now, um, to, you know, just because of work. And I was able to create and do these things that I didn't even know I had within me. And so it's like, how do I hold on to that when I live in a world that expects demands of me all of the time? Right. Well, you do that by clearing it up. Like you do that by saying like that that definition of who we're supposed to be doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be. We just actually had that conversation with our board and a retreat around like, actually, we don't need to follow this the way it, it, it's written. And we don't need Rogers rules of whatever it is. And we we don't need these things. We need to figure out ourselves. And um, we have the ability to do that. So I'm just like carrying, you know, Erica, I, I know that you are like a heartbeat of like strength or a lot of things. But when you say stuff like galaxies, it gives me goosebumps because like, that's what we need to think about. Right. Um, and it also makes me think of like, you know, the indigenous saying, which is like, we're thinking about what we need to do for the seventh generations after us. Right. But when you think about galaxies and touching those galaxies, that's for the seventh generation after us. Um, so I'm just like, I'm just holding on to that. You can't see my, my arms, but I literally got goosebumps right now. And um, I love that about our community. It's we are true authenticity um, around what this can be and just looking forward to it. That's why they're so afraid of us. That's why they have all this legislation. That's why they're trying to control us. That's why they try to control indigenous people and black folks. And because that was what it meant to be infinite. Um, and they don't know how to function outside of that. So I'm just loving all of this. I'm sending you a big heart and love because I just love it. Y'all, I also have goosebumps. The galaxy thing really got me too. I was like, damn. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I love this, this idea um, that you shared, Erica, of like binaries to spectrums to galaxies. I wrote that down and was like, this is a thing that I'm going to remember for a really long time. Um, and they're reframing around, because I, I think a lot of what the work that I've done as a practitioner is like just getting folks but like out of the binary space, right? Like, let's just like take you a little bit across this line, like to reveal that there is more, there is more conversation to be had, that you are missing out on a community of incredibly wonderful folks by choosing to stay in this space of only believing in the one thing. And um, I think that that is such a great way to to describe that. And I also wanted to, I call in the multiverse. You mentioned that, Nadine, and I don't know if y'all are sp- the new Spider-Verse uh, fans, but it like also blew my mind, right? I feel like as a as a person who was very much trained in the like, you will be white and you will be straight and you will be blonde and you'll be pretty and you'll get an A. Like those, those movies 
again, like not to give too much credence to the media, but like that has changed the way that I have like perceived myself and perceived time in a way that I think is really lovely and comes back to this idea of like what young folks are asking for is radical change. Um, and it's, it comes out in these ways sometimes that I'm like, that's it. Like, that's such a rad way to think about this world. And playing with this idea of time and playing with this idea of infinity makes me think of one of my favorite scholars, Adrienne Marie Brown, in the way that, that she talks about um, self-love and looking inward for divinity. The ways that you all are, are talking about your experiences and the way that you're talking about the folks in your community. Um, the word of like reverence comes to mind, right? Like that there is this reverence of self in a way that is just stunning and a reverence of community reverence in relationship to one another, what both of you all have shared about your partners and sort of your immediate communities. And um, that brings me a lot of joy and grounds me in this like, you know, change is possible and it's been occurring and will be occurring, you know, infinitely, um, which is just a, a really, really lovely and wonderfully like buoying sort of thought in this, in this moment in time. So thank you both for sharing that. Um, and with that, I'll carry us into our, our last question, which again, you all have sort of taken us, taken us there a little bit already. And I'm excited to hear more, which is, um, can you remember a time when you arrived at the point of feeling joyful in sort of a, a realistic way, not like you will be joyful and you will have a good time. Uh, fundatory, that's what we like to call it. Um, but a, a realistic, joyful place for yourself and and sort of realizing that struggle or suffering um, isn't the only way. Um, and just curious how you arrived at that place or how you continue to, to work to get to that place and maybe who inspires you? I can go. This, this question was like, I... I'm looking at it and I'm just like, I'm not even sure how I'm going to answer this, right? Because sometimes my joy comes in ice cream. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes my joy comes in working out. Or, But um, I want to go back to, circle back to what's something that Erica said, which I think is really important, which is therapy. Um, I think I have been always told, you know, I grew up um, in poverty uh, with addicted parents, uh, addicted mom um, who lost her life because of the choices she made. And um, and I was always told that I should be lucky for where I am. I was, you know, like I should be a single mom or I should be addicted or I should be these things. And I believed that. And so I worked really, really hard all the way I was a straight A student to prove what I wasn't, um, that it, sometimes I didn't know who I actually was. Right. I was so busy proving what I'm not. And I think when you come from vulnerable populations, that happens quite a bit. And I think my joy has come from young people teaching me who I am and who I can be. Um, it comes from my dad, who not only knows how to put a weave in my hair, but is unafraid to talk about menstruation and uh, everything else that's going on that bucked the system when folks told him that he couldn't raise daughters um, whose community, uh, you know, the boys in my my neighborhood all call him Pops because he raised every single one of them and showed what it meant to, to love Black men um, and to have that as a part. And so all of that brings me joy. Um, I certainly struggle at times. There are times where I'm like, what am I doing and why didn't I choose a job with golden handcuffs? Um, you know what I mean? And then there are days where I just just this conversation alone um, brings me joy. Um, you know, both Eric and I had an uh, opportunity to participate in a queer celebration 
over the weekend that was unapologetically themselves. And that brought me joy. Um, and actually, I'll end it with saying, you know, connecting with a, a neurodivergent, queer, older person who felt seen and heard um, over pride brought me joy. Like there's all, all these things that that we like when again, when you connect as a human being and I see you the way you want to be seen and you see me the way I need to be seen. Um, that brings me joy. And out of all this madness and noise, um, at the end of the day, we're human beings. We're going to human being, which means imperfection. So we have to create love uh, to allow for that. That hit. <laughs> Thank you, Nadine. Thank you for all of that. Thank you for raising our moment this weekend as well at that party. That was something that I've been in reflection of, of seeing unapologetic queerness and joy and I think when I think about joy and this question, I'm almost like doing doing my thing that I, well, I still do, but really in grad school, I like try to queer questions that I get like this and like, how can I flip this and make it into my own, right? Because it's saying like arriving at a point of joy being a realistic way of being, but I, I think there is no, there is no arrival really for me. It's kind of like this uh, intertwining with liberation work where liberation work is just constant ongoing there there is no like finite finish line of an arrival um but something that I'm constantly trying to extract every day especially with the work that both Nadine and I are doing um it's really important to lean into that and create space for that and to decommodify self-love and to decolonize that uh, for myself is something that I'm really passionate about doing day in and day out. Um, but I think about, I mean, I, I kind of spoke on the communities that I try to surround myself with. And I think Nadine did a really great job at looking towards the youth and being able to see how they are thriving, especially in um, a world where there are a lot of deficit-based narratives about this community and about my community and this struggle and how um, resilience and how we should be patted on the back for receiving these hits from the systems over and over again, when really we should be looking to the people in power to be able to do something about the systems that are putting us and our youth in a place to be able to take those hits. So rather transforming resilience into this idea of forced resilience and how, yeah, absolutely struggle is not the only way to be because while this forced resilience is something that people in our community have had to navigate and my ancestors have had to navigate, there is queerness and there is this idea of Adrian Ray Brown, since you mentioned Adrian, talks about um mycelium mushroom so i'm gonna get i'm gonna get weird with you for a second we've already broken the the galaxy threshold so i'll get weird uh, again but i think that thinking about how mycelium and mushrooms and their job in the ecosystem is to break down everything that is dead broken gross and no longer unusable and take that and make it into something that is usable and beautiful and put that back out into the earth. And not only that, but they're intertwined and interconnected under the soil. And I think that that taking that concept from Adrian and understanding how our, or at least my, my job in activism is to connect with people like Nadine outside of my organization and connect with youth and really focus on this localized work. Um, of leaning into joy and raising the narrative of forced resilience and how the people in power need to be doing what they 
have the privilege to be able to do to push back against these systems so that we can create more joy for young people to experience. And also to create representation of what that looks like. It looks like hiring within schools, organizations, and talking about people like Alok Bimanan and putting that in history books um, and presentations and just honestly, like, I, I could go on and on with what I think that school systems needs and representation, but I think just at the end of the day, trying to create spaces where you're asking questions around what liberation means and exposing young people and mostly marginalized young people to what that can mean for themselves and how connecting to ancestors and elders is really important in helping people discover that for themselves is if that's a privilege that they're able to have to connect with those people. Um, and I think that just reminds me of one last plug that I'll make for um, Joy is Resistance. We have a mentorship program called Big Queer, Little Queer. And we're always looking for mentors for our organization. And the whole point of this service is to create this social capital so that we can um, have young people and connect them to uh, elders in the community, adults in the community that share similar interests so that we can create this web of, um, of capital and of power, non-problematic, non-violent power for our young people to be able to step into um, so that they can have access to some of maybe these like questions and conversations that wouldn't normally happen within a household where maybe they maybe aren't out or their parents are cisgender and straight and maybe are not as equipped to have those conversations. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I have to say right now. <laughs> Thank you all. I'm just going to double plug Joys of Resistance. I've um, had the pleasure to work and connect with them um, and the AD. And what they're doing is an absolutely incredible. Um, so very proud of the work they're doing. They have a cool bus um, that they travel around with that has great resources. And I just want to plug some other folks because I think sometimes in the queer community, we, we think, look at One Colorado which is very much so on the macro side of things or like the center in Colfax, but there are other organizations out there. There's Black Pride, there's Youth Scene, um, there's Convivir, which is doing incredible um, work for immigrants and refugees, and there's Fortaleza Familiar, which is doing a lot of work with Latinx community and Two-Spirit community unapologetically. Um, so there's other organizations out there that are doing really cool things and uh, I'll just add one last thing. We got an email last week from Lamar, um, which if anybody doesn't know, it's like Southeast um, Colorado and they had their first pride. And like, that's joy, like this little tiny, tiny place that seems very conservative. Like our people are standing up and speaking and saying we deserve to be seen and heard. And that is what this is all, all about. So. I have so much gratitude for you both and, and what you brought to our conversation and to one another today. Um, thank you for the ways you you give of yourself um, to this time and this space and also with the folks that are in your media and far-reaching communities. Um, I really love the reminder of the sort of mycelium network. I'm, I was an environmental educator and I had went to like super hippie, crunchy <laughs> grad programs. So there were lots of circles where we talked about our feelings and we talked about mushrooms and trees and so I totally totally get it and I'm very much on board with that so thank you for sharing um I am going to close this out and say thank you both again I can't express enough gratitude um I know that your time is precious so thank you for spending some of that with us today thank you I want to thank our guests today for joining in in the equity labs production team 
Equity work is difficult work that's worth doing. It's done in community and it's a responsibility we all carry.